Hey guys, it's Mom Taraj, the podcast about being a mom that thinks that most mom stuff is super boring. So we created our own posse. I'm Ashley. And I'm Carrie. And we are ready to walk you down the red carpet of motherhood. Hey guys, happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. Wednesday, Wednesday. We have a really informative show for you today. We are talking to Dr. Elizabeth Adams, who's a child psychologist, and we're going to get down to all the fun talk about our children and COVID and quarantine and good stuff. Listen, you got your break from this last week, okay? And now we're back at it. This is the peer-reviewed journal part of the show. Exactly. Then we're also going to talk about the three things lockdowns have exposed about working and parenting. It's going to be fun because we're hosting, but you know, it's going to be informative. Listen, it's not all going to be COVID all the time. We're going to give you breaks. Don't worry. Yeah, we have something fun coming for you next week. That's right. As always, we have our hashtag swag bag, but next, Carrie, take it away. The tits and the shits. How's your week been? This week has been a pretty good week. Isn't it true that the days seem like weeks sometimes? I mean, in this time of my life, yes. And by this time of my life, I'm not sure if I mean parenting or quarantine or what the hell I mean, or 2020. I don't know, but yes. I kind of had a quarantine epiphany recently. Oh, I have those all the time. Please share. I mean, it's nobody cares. I care. You know, my other career aside from this is I teach yoga and other stuff of the healing modalities. And I just had a moment where I was like, now that we're in quarantine, I think that the world is changing for my career in yoga. What is it that I have to offer? What is it that I want to offer? How can I make it work? in this new world. And I just had kind of an epiphany about what my skill set was and how I want to continue. And it's not necessarily just teaching traditional yoga classes. I won't go into it. It's very boring. I'll tell you at a later date, actually, not on the record. Well, I'm glad you gave us all that preface and then left us hanging. I'm just combining all my skills. So, you know, as the host of this podcast, you and I are very good at being very open and sharing parts of ourselves that other people might not want to. I'm good at facilitating conversation between people, getting conversations started, talking about difficult subjects and meditating and yoga. And so I'm going to offer like roundtable discussions about really difficult subjects. So that during this quarantine, when people are missing community, they can find a place to heal together. And And it brings in your Yenta-ness. I'm such a friend Yenta. Exactly. I hope you like brand it something Yenta, like the Yogi Yenta or something. That is so good. I said I had to come up with a sexy name for it. So maybe that's it. Nobody take it. Don't take it. Anyone. Nobody. It's mine. It feels good to find purpose a little bit in this. So that's nice. And then the other tits, if I may have two tits, because two tits are better than one. Uh, they always are. This is our friend anniversary. It is our friend anniversary. Isn't that nice? So it's our one year friend anniversary. We got cast to be best friends. Yeah. On our last podcast. And I found out, I don't know when you found out, Ashley, but I found out on Mother's Day and I sent you a text on Mother's Day. Yeah, I think that sounds right. I was like, did you hear anything? And you're like, yeah, I got it. And that's what made me realize that my other friend, Valerie, didn't get it. And unfortunately, I had to tell her on Mother's Day that she didn't get a podcast that we were told we were going to get together. So that was a shitty Mother's Day. You were told you were going to get it together? 
I told you that was the original construct right, that right. they said they wanted us as a team. Oh, see, because I read with my friend, not my best friend, but my friend. I was always under the assumption that I could potentially be paired up with somebody else. No, not until that last callback. Oh. Did, we didn't know. Gotcha. And then in that callback when we were being bitchy to you, yeah. we had a little side conversation where we're like, just do your best. Whoever gets it, it's great. Yeah. We love each other. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So technically, our relationship, you know, it's like that argument that people have when they're dating, like, when did we say we loved each other? When did we finally go steady? It wasn't like we became best friends then or anything. No, but I'm considering it because we were like a slow burn to becoming best friends. So I'm- I mean, I feel like the day we had the photo shoot in the park, I yes. was like, at first I was like a little weary going into it. And then you kind of like broke me down at the park. You were just like <laughs> making me laugh. <laughs> You know. This is what I do to people. I break them down. You broke me down. I think that day I even texted Valerie, or I was like hesitant to text Valerie because I knew that we sort of like kind of were mad at you, but not really. And I was like, I hate to tell you this. I might become her friend. And she's like, it's fine. I don't feel threatened. <laughs> it's like when you're so secure in your relationship with your husband that you can say that somebody looks really pretty or handsome or whatever yeah. and doesn't matter. That's how our relationship Until it's is. Francesca from Too Hot to Handle. And you know what? I am not secure enough for my husband to be as attracted to her as he is. Evidently. Not. I am not. I've heard about that a couple of times. I can't. Now. And this was like a month ago we watched it. I can't let it go because it goes against everything he's into. I, I can't. Lee has a couple of those, and I'm like, um, that doesn't make sense to me. No, isn't that the worst? Like, mine are consistent. And then you're like, anything can happen because you like that person. That's weird. Like, what's next? A guy? I won't be surprised. I will a little, but I won't really because you went with this unicorn. So it's our friend anniversary. I consider that our friend anniversary because it was the day that we were forced to pretend that we are best friends. God, maybe we should have given each other gifts. Well, you know, we have each other's hearts. It's what is the five-year? Wood? (laughs) Give you some wood or something. (laughs) Anyway, that's our friend anniversary. So happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. And how... Apropos, it's like we planned it for our podcast that it's Mother's Day. It is. And we have a mothers-based podcast. It is. You know, what a coinky-dink. Do you have shits? You know what? I almost don't even have any shits. Good for you. Luna's being a picky eater again, mm. but that's like an old shit. There's not a lot of shits this week. That's great. Yeah. Good for you. I'm happy to hear that. I would also just like to add that what could be a shit is that I'm going to have some wine and try to home hair color my hair tonight. God, you do so much after 8 p.m. How about you, Ash? My tits are, you guys know my mom had coronavirus. Apparently, you are no longer contagious after three days without a fever. We waited longer than that. And um, we've been seeing my parents again. And it's been really nice. We had a really nice weekend. I should let you know we are recording this before actual Mother's Day. But we will be spending Mother's Day with my mom and my dad at my parents' house. And I've basically like seen them every day this week. Because the truth is my mom is going to probably be going back to work at the hospital. And once that happens, you know, we're back to square one. Which sucks. Oof, and I hate that. Yeah. Hate it, hate it, hate it. Just trying to soak it all in and see how it goes. My shits are... A new social phenomenon that I discovered the other day, and I hate it. And I'm going to come off like judgy-wudgy, and I'm going to go tell you, you can go fuck yourself if you don't like what I'm about to say. I'm kind of nervous about what you're going to say. I don't know what it is. Go ahead. I saw my first... Instagram story labor coverage. Oh, you told me this. Yeah. And I was so grossed out by the whole thing. And let me clarify, I'm not grossed out by labor because 
we didn't see the actual labor, but it was all the coverage of like, just had contractions on our way to the hospital, waiting for this, was gonna have a natural birth, decided to get the epidural, watching TV now. Here he is. It was just like, <laughs> listen, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you I'm some huge influencer, but I have done influencer type things before and I have gone to events and had to cover things in my Instagram stories. In no way do you enjoy where you are, the moment, what's happening when you're covering it. So it just seems very strange to me that we have gotten to the point in society where something as precious as the birth of your child is something you're willing to not even be present in. It made me sad about like where we are. And so many things make me sad these days. (laughs) To be completely honest. Every time I turn on the news, I'm just like, oh my God, what is this world? I didn't like it. Made me really upset. Made me sad. I don't know what it says about me, but when I was going to have my baby, everyone expected me to do that. And that was not the case. But my mom was doing it. That's different. I know, but so many of my friends were like, thank God I decided to follow your mom late in the game. Thank God she tagged you because I was holding on for dear life trying to figure out what the next thing that was going to happen. Are you kidding me? I didn't even see my phone for like six days. No, that was probably the longest I've been without my phone in a very long time. I did take a selfie because I was induced the night at the hospital. They induced me and I was like, this is my last pregnant selfie. And then that was it. I brought so many People magazines. I had a dope playlist. None of that shit got used. No, no, I'm kidding. None of it. I didn't even eat. I had a snack bag. I had electrolytes. Oh, I did eat. I did have my yogurt snacks. I did have my honey sticks. I did do that stuff. Oh my God, I couldn't. I was vomiting the whole entire time. I threw threw up my last meal that I had at my fancy restaurant. It used to be my favorite meal. Can't ever eat it again because I vomited it up the whole entire time. And I had Burger King. Highbrow, lowbrow. (laughs) And I can still eat it. (laughs) Up next, we have Dr. Elizabeth Adams. So for our first guest, we have Dr. Elizabeth Adams, who's a clinical psychologist. She specializes in child development, child behavior, and working with children and families in community settings, schools, clinics, and hospitals. She's worked with children and families for over 15 years. She's also the co-founder and chief clinical officer of Trussell, a service that provides an on-demand support to parents from parenting experts. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Adams. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I mean, I always feel like having a child is stressful enough, especially if it's your first one and you're trying not to screw them up too bad just in regular life. And then we have so many additional things going on. I know just for me, I have a 18-month-old and I have suffered from anxiety and some OCD in my life. And I have always tried up until this point to be careful about how I language things. But it's really hard. I find myself saying things. I talked about it with my therapist. I was like, I caught myself saying, saying, no, Luna, we can't go on that side of the street. There's people there. And I'm like, oh God, I'm going to make her like afraid of people. This is terrible, you know? I think it's so difficult because some level of anxiety right now is normal. And we want to protect our kids and we want to help them be safe. But I think you're right about how we choose those words and the way that we communicate. The safety is important um, so that we don't make our kids anxious at the same time. But it's hard because we're we're running anxious ourselves. So on that note, can you kind of give us some examples of how we should be talking to our children about what's happening in this world around 
around us right now? There's a couple kind of benchmarks and things to keep in mind. I mean, probably at this point in the story, most parents have had to talk to their kids about what's going on. But I think what's interesting to know is that it's an unfolding, right? And it's an ongoing dialogue. And it also is really normal for kids to be asking their parents the same questions over and over again, whether that's when is this going to end or, you know, is coronavirus still going to be here on my birthday? Like that's when I get every day from my five and a half year old. And just this repetition because that's kids trying to process on their own and understand things. The other thing is kids understanding evolves, whether that's through what you're telling them or what they might be exposed to. And so regardless of if it's the first conversation or it's one that's later, I think starting with what kids know is a really great way to start the conversation, meaning saying to them, like, tell me what you think is happening with that or tell me what you understand. And part of the reason I advise parents to do that is because a conversation with a child that thinks there's a virus in the world that's making people sick and we have to stay home is a really different conversation than a child that might be aware that hundreds of thousands of people are dying. That's a very different conversation. And depending on the age of your child in the context, you kind of want to have a sense of the knowledge that they do have. I think so you're not just saying your kid, yes, thousands of people are dying and they're like, what? That would be terrible. I have a two and a half year old and I basically have been telling him, you know, there's a lot of people who are getting sick right now. So we just have to try and take care of ourselves so that we don't also get sick. And my mom did have COVID and I live so close to my parents that we're used to seeing them. And when we weren't seeing them through all of that, I was just trying to say, you know, we have to protect Poppy and Trix. Or when she got sick, I said, Trix is sick, but it's okay. She's going to be okay. And we'll be able to see her afterwards. There's a Red Cross commercial that's on Nickelodeon for some reason. And he starts saying, mama, people sicky, people sicky. So I wondered, have I posed this the wrong way? He doesn't seem scared. It seems like something he understands in his terms, but I worry that maybe I've caused some kind of irreparable damage. I don't know. That's always the worry, right? Um, No, I think, I don't think you have. I think it's your child processing what you told them and making connections. I wouldn't say that that's an over, like if you noticed that there was a real fixation or a change in, you know, mood or appetite, you know, huge things, then that could be about the change in circumstance too. But I think children saying it isn't indicative or repeating what you said, even if it's multiple times, is indicative that there's any issue. I think it's important to give kids an explanation, partially because kids will come up with their own if they don't have one from us. And often what they come up with could be more scary or could be a real misunderstanding of what's happening in the world. And so we want to be that safe place that provides the information for our kids and to offer them an explanation around what's going on. You know, I love that you had that conversation with your son, despite how young he is, because I think we can have this conversation with our kids regardless of their age. And we should because kids are pretty perceptive, but the exact language we use will vary. What are some of the things that you're seeing with children in the midst of this pandemic and quarantine? What are some behaviors? Like I know my friends 
um, have been talking about a little bit of regression behavior, whether it be bedwetting or going from potty training to not potty training or some of their quote unquote babyish behaviors, whether it's yeah. clingy or thumb sucking or wanting to go back to a bottle or whatever it is. What are some things that you're seeing or to be expected maybe? You know, I think the response is going to be really individual based on the child. And one of the things that can be really puzzling to parents is that one minute their child might seem fine and then the next minute they might have a response that might be indicative of some stress or anxiety. And kids cycle through emotions much more quickly than adults do, which is both good and bad, but can be confusing for adults kind of watching things. For kids that are having a difficult time, the other thing to remember is that the way anxiety and stress is presented in children isn't the same way it's presented in adults. You know, adults, if we're well adjusted and sort of self insightful, we can say like, oh, I'm, you know, feeling stressed or anxious. Or even if you have a really bad day and you're snappy or or irritable, you might be able to connect that. Kids can't. And so the way that they present their symptoms can look really different. So you might see anxiety in its classic sense where you might see kids biting their nails or having things that are more directly obvious that they're anxiety. I've been working with a couple families where it's pretty clear anxiety, like the kids are doing some picking behaviors or, you know, just seem nervous where there's physiological changes in sleep patterns or in their appetite, which are often tells like kids will get more physical symptoms. They'll complain of their stomach hurting and things like that, which can be a more direct sign of anxiety. I would say much more common recently as I've been talking to a lot of parents who have noticed a huge change in their child's externalizing behavior. So they're having these increased tantrums, they're really angry, they're not listening as often as they normally would. And that can also be a sign of anxiety too. Certainly regressions, like you mentioned, and changes in potty training, some more subtle things could be decreases in concentration or attention, which is like, great, it's the perfect time to try to homeschool our kids then. I'm for sure having that lack of concentration. <laughs> same. Well, exactly. I think it's the same things that are so stressful for us in terms of being separated from our support networks, major changes to our routines. Those same things are really hard for our kids too. What should we do if we start to notice those things? Here's the thing. There's a normality to some of that right? Like if you're potty training kids, there's going to be regression sometimes, or sometimes kids are going to have symptoms. And so it could be unrelated. So before I had a child, I was a nanny. How am I supposed to figure out if this regression is just like a regular regression? Because kids can do that quite often. You know, how am I supposed to delineate between, you know, this is the 18 month or this is the she's getting teeth. So, you know, versus it's pandemic, or does it not even really matter what it's from? You can look at it two ways. One is thinking about how pervasive it is and like how acute it is. Like if it seems like, oh my gosh, we were almost potty trained and now there's like accidents every single day. Or like, yeah, it makes sense that there's some sleep disruptions right now because there's a tooth coming in or like we would be in a developmental leap right now. And it lasts a shorter period of time versus seems to really be dragging out. 
But I really appreciate that you asked, does it matter? Because I think the strategies that you would utilize are very similar, regardless of the underlying reason. And I think it's important not to make ourselves crazy and think, you know, every symptom, many of which are things that typical kids would experience regardless of whether or not we're in the middle of COVID, making ourselves crazy thinking like, oh my gosh, is there this huge underlying anxiety piece because of social distancing or what's happening right now, rather than saying, okay, you know, let's use our resources to try to help the symptom that's occurring. I would say the one kind of broader picture perspective on that is to think about what's happening in the environment. Is it that things are so stressful right Right now in your home or that you're feeling super stressed, that is likely a result of what's happening right now, because that would probably be a good indication that you need to take care of that piece too. But either way, we can course correct with our kids. We can help them through setbacks and hard feelings and anxiety. There's a lot that can be done to support them. In sort of pop parenting psychology, people always say, you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Yeah. But parents do sort of set that emotional thermostat. And it's a reframing of that. It's not just about self-care and like the trite way. It's really about the fact that if we're not regulated, if we're kind of super, super struggling to make it through the day in a way that feels like, you know, this is getting to a point that I could really use some help because I'm really struggling, it's going to be really difficult for our kids to regulate. And so when I'm talking to parents about the importance of like making sure they are taking care of their emotional needs and anxiety. It's not just about, oh, take care of yourself, which is sometimes helpful for parents to hear. Like this isn't about being selfish. It's actually about how this is going to play out. So we had a couple of questions from our listeners, and this is something that I'm concerned about with my 18-month-old, but we had a lot of people talking about how do you get your kids to wash their hands and not touch their faces and not pick their noses <laughs> and in or public. stick random things in their mouth. And how to get a kid to wear a mask. Like I've been putting the kid mask that I have for my daughter on her baby dolls. I'm like, how can I get my kid to keep this on? She can't keep anything on, you know? So just some advice about how to pattern those things so it doesn't become like obsessive behavior. I think exactly what you're saying where there's something called behavior shaping where we expect sometimes kids, we just tell them like, you're going to do this totally new thing and you're going to wear this mask on your face. You're going to wear these gloves and like, they're just going to do it. So you want to ease your child into it if you know your child's going to be resistant, practice it at home, play, put it on the baby dolls, have them practice putting it on, go in your backyard and say, we're going to keep it on and put on a timer and then give a positive reinforcement to what they're doing. Like great job keeping that mask on, great job keeping those gloves on. So expectations, if you know your child's not going to be able to wear it for very long, take a short walk to practice wearing it first. You know, there are things that you can do distraction is a great strategy. So rather than being so focused on the mask and saying, you know, leave your mask on constantly, give your child, if you're out and about, you have to bring them to the grocery store. You have to bring them on an errand. Keep them occupied with other things. You know, a game with them, have them help you hold a list and check things off. There's various things that you can do rather than being so fixated on keeping the mask on. And I think the same thing for don't touch that or don't lick the sidewalk or whatever thing they're trying to do. (laughs) 
give them something to hold to make sure they're not putting their hands in their mouth. And, you know, saying, I'm going to squeeze your hand and count how many times I'm squeezing. Like if this is really problematic, or you know, you're getting to that point where they're going to start limit testing with that. I think that's for very young kids. For kids that are a little bit older, kids that are maybe a precocious four-year-old or five-year-old and older, I think you can provide some of that teaching before you go, you know, create a social story, explain to them why you're asking them to do this without instilling fear, but saying like, it's a great way to keep other people healthy and safe. So one of the questions that we got a lot and one that actually pertains to my son is there are certain children that are enjoying this and this time at home and not going to school. How do we ease them back into the chaos of real life when that starts up? Like, for example, my son is going to be starting real big boy school in September if that happens in the world. And even just talking about it with the application process that I'm doing right now, he's like, no, 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 no school, no school, no school. So how do we get them used to that idea again? Yeah. You know, I think there's going to be an adjustment period for all of us. And what makes it really challenging to answer the question about, you know, how exactly do we help them is I think the details are going to largely depend on what things look like. If it's that, you know, kids aren't going back to school in the fall, or they're only going two days a week, or they're going and the rules are very, very different than what they've been exposed to before. Those are all kind of different scenarios that we're forward thinking about in the mental health world. Meaning like if there's going to be all these rules around how far apart kids have to be and things like that, I think preparation and easing kids into it the same way you would help them with any other transitions. So social stories are great. And so that's sort of creating, it doesn't have to be fancy, but downloading pictures of the school and putting it into a little book and just talking about it and looking at it, driving by the school before you go, being able to play on the playground if nobody's there, if that's possible. Like those are recommendations I would make to parents whose children are resistant about going to preschool to begin with. But they're things that especially now, it might be helpful if you're trying to ease a young child back into the situation. If it's going to dramatically change their schedule, it's better to try to do that little by little. So if the wake up time is going to be really different, or the morning routine is going to be really different, trying to put some of those new routines into place before the first day of school. If you're at a point where you can have other caregivers help out, and it's a matter of getting used to being away from you, you know, maybe having another caregiver come over and practice saying goodbye and reuniting and those kinds of things before school starts again. That all kind of depends on the limitations that we're faced with. Yeah, Kids are pretty resilient. It's normal for kids to have trouble with these transitions and they get through it and teachers are wonderful about helping kids get excited. Something that I've been concerned about and I know that some of my friends have been concerned about is, you know, this working from home piece Mm -hmm. where lots of parents are having to work from home right now and they're sort of forced to ignore their kids a little bit during the day. I hate to say the word ignore, but you know, like they have to multitask in a real huge way. And what a lot of my friends who were maybe not so dependent on television or technology, they're having to put their children in front of technology or whatever so that they can get their jobs done. My one cousin's child is starting to act out just to get attention because the parents both have to work. She's used to when her parents are home, they're involved with her. And when they're out at work, they're out at work. Well, 
I think one, there's something we can learn or garner from the research about screen time that might be a little bit helpful or even anxiety reducing for parents is that there's a lot of information out there about the dangers of screen time for kids. If we take a really close look at the research, it's not conclusive. The research isn't entirely clear and often they're talking- This is the answer I was hoping for. (laughs) (laughs) They're often talking about correlations rather than causation. So for example, you can't really do a super strong scientific study on screen time where you would use what's called like randomized control trials where you would say to one family, okay, you're going to have your kid watch TV 10 hours a day and you're going to have your kid watch none randomly in the population. Parents that report their children watch 10 hours of TV versus families who report that their kids watch one or two hours of TV. And the problem with that is that in all of these studies, there are major differences between those groups besides the hours of screen time. Yeah, Um, There's difference in terms of parental involvement, in terms of parent education level, in terms of access to resources. There's these huge disparities between the groups. And so people that are critical of the research, rightfully so, will say, how do we know that these differences between the groups are actually about the hours of screen time and not all of these other things. I think we have to be cautious. There are some things we do know from the research on screen time, and those are the lessons that I think we should try to take to heart, but they're much less scary. The other things to think about are, one, kids under two don't generally learn from screens. It doesn't mean that it's harmful to them. It just means that they don't seem to be retaining a ton. Kids older than two do seem to learn from screens and can actually learn information. And so having the quality of the content that they're watching does seem to matter in terms of like, is there a benefit to screens? Personally, I talk to parents about opportunity cost. So I say to a parent, like if your child would otherwise be outside playing or playing with you or doing something creative and they're spending a ton of time on screens, then yeah, let's think about how to creatively vary what they're doing. If otherwise it would be making you crazy and going back to what we were saying before, and you'd be, you know, losing your patience with your child or worrying about your job being at risk, then put them on the screen. Yeah, I think it's finding that balance and knowing too, a lot of the studies when they talk about hours, it's in extremes. I would just like to say that Ashley and I were raised on television and look how good we turned out. We are podcasters, man. We're podcasters. We chose a life of the arts. You know, what's not to want? So this next question comes from a friend of mine. She was telling me that her two-year-old daughter doesn't want to go outside anymore. Whenever she talks about it, she starts crying and throwing a fit. But once she's outside, she's okay. Okay. Until she sees people with masks walking towards her. So her mom will try to like talk to the people and say, hi, how are you to, you know, make it less scary. She's not handling other people in masks well. What is something that she can do to ease all of that fear, I guess? If the fear is about the masks, so if the initial resistance to going outside is about afraid of seeing people in masks, which it sounds like maybe it is, then I would think about doing what we were talking about before, 
which is this like slow exposure. So this is something that psychologists do when kids are really fearful. I work with a lot of kids that are really scared of dogs. And the way that you help a child that's really scared of dogs is not telling them, don't worry about dogs. Dogs don't matter. It's actually having them be around dogs, right? And you have to do it slowly and it's a process. And you might just start looking at pictures of dogs and very, very slowly work your way up. So I would start with like really fun, like make a paper plate lion mask with her as a craft. This is a mask. This is what a mask does. It covers this part of my face and like play with it a little bit at home, trying to take it out of the context when they're fearful and introduce it to them in home where they're more comfortable. And then I think you get a surgical mask if they have one that are more common to be seen, decorate it, look at pictures of people in masks, just try to normalize it and get it so that it's not such a novel, scary experience. That's such a good idea, a paper plate mask. I like that. Dr. Adams, thank you so much. I feel like this was so necessary. It may not have been the most feel good, but I'm really happy that I have some things to put into effect with my child. And based on how many people even reached out to us, I think people are going to really be grateful for this information. Is there anything else you want to add before we plug all of your things as we so love to do? I think the most important thing for parents to remember right now is give your yourself some grace. Like we're talking about all of these things. And I think sometimes when you listen to something like this, I have to give the caveat of it doesn't mean that you're never going to have an anxious moment or it doesn't mean you're not going to have that knee jerk reaction where you say like, don't touch that. It's okay. There's space to make mistakes and missteps. And I think what everybody needs right now, including our kids is a lot of grace and some space. We're navigating a really tricky time. That was so well said. I love that. I need a lot of grace, honestly. (laughs) So where can people find you? What are all your things? Let us show you all the love. Okay, thank you. Well, as you mentioned, I'm a psychologist and I'm the chief clinical officer of Trestle. And I founded Trestle because I wanted parents to be able to have access that was affordable and really highly accessible to experts in childhood and parenting. And so we have an app. Parents can get matched with a child development app expert and a parent coach that is perfect for them. And then they can text that coach at two o'clock in the morning if they want to. They can set up calls or video calls. And it's like having your best friend who can be a parenting support and a sounding board on your parenting journey. So I would love for people to check us out. We're so blessed to be set up to be able to support parents during this time really seamlessly. So if people are interested in Trestle, they should check us out. It's trust and then LE is how it's spelled. So T-R-U-S-T-L-E dot com. If anybody has any questions, they can also email me directly. It's Elizabeth at Trestle.com. And if any of your listeners email me, I will send them a code to get a month of Trestle for $10 if they want to try. Oh my God, that's so amazing. Thank you. Side note, this parenting thing, man, it's a real mind fuck if I might use those terms. And so many of my friends before this have sought the help of a child psychologist. And Lord knows I will. I'm the child of a therapist. And now that we're a more aware society, I think of how early childhood and development affects us in the long run. I think that more people are reaching out for mental help. People that I know that would never have gone to a therapist themselves are getting their children help. And I'm just so thankful that the world is moving in this direction. 
Me too. Absolutely. There is no shame. Everybody needs help. And I want all the help I can get parenting because Lord knows I cannot do it alone. Me too. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you being a part of our momtourage. Okay, so for our next segment, we're talking about this New York Times article called Three Things Lockdowns Have Exposed About Working and Parenting. I mean, I think this is something that's really going to hit home for a lot of people. So basically, Carrie and I have this structure of things, the way things work with us is, you know, sometimes, especially in all of this, I'm a little emotionally incapacitated and Carrie will take over an episode. Like the sleepover was all Carrie. Or Carrie's very overwhelmed with work and I will take over. Like this episode, This is, I love how those serious sad one is mine. <laughs> Listen, it reflects our mood. I've been a little like YOLO lately, so. Yeah, I mean, good. YOLO's great. Sidebar. I read an article that said, we're not going to remember what any of this was like. This is going to be such a like blip on our radar, us as adults. We're not really going to remember it. And while I was reading it, I was like, that's not possible. And then I thought about, wow, how much I remember from two months ago when this started. And I remember like it being really dark and really scary scary. It's not as big in my memory as it was then. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you were considering going full Howie Mandel. So it definitely still is considering you. going full Howie Mandel. And that is the truth. I just have to share with you that I just noticed that in this rented, it's not really rented, but in this place that we're living, there is a button on the wall that says emergency. And I've pressed it multiple times thinking that it was the light. So I wonder what that's going to do. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that's fun. Anyway, we were talking to friends of ours and, you know, they both work full-time jobs and things have gotten so crazy for them. They had to hire a nanny in all of this. And that's very scary. They have to implement all these rules because they're now opening their house to a new person with their baby. And they were kind of hesitant to say anything at first, which I understand that that can be a little scary, but it totally makes sense why they have to do it. Neither one of them has time to spend with their one-year-old and they have to do this. Well, I was just going to say it's scary enough. Scary is maybe not the right word, but it's nerve-wracking enough hiring a nanny in regular circumstances, let alone in this circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of opened my my eyes to what this is really telling us about our work life. It's really exposing the situation that we're all in. Can you imagine being a single mother in all of this? No, I've thought about that so many times. Who does what you and I do and is an artist and has a supplemental job of waiting tables or something like that. What do they do in all of this? I've even thought about in a different way, if I was a single mom and I didn't have someone to drop my child off, with when I went to go grocery shop. I'm doing all the grocery shopping myself so that I can wipe down and control everything. I mean, Luna licked the Costco cart the last time. And I didn't, this is pre-COVID, I didn't recognize that she was fully eating the Costco cart handle until someone goes, do you want to look at your child? She's eating the Costco. And I was too busy like looking at my list. So Lord knows I'm not taking her to a grocery store right now. But for a lot of people, there isn't an option. Yep. You have to take your kid wherever you go. What if you're an essential worker? What if you're a single mother who's an essential worker and all of this and having no one to watch your child, what do you do? Well, my friends that are a doctor and a nurse and their kid was in school and they their schedule was worked around basically his school schedule, he's living with her retired mother in another state. That's crazy. Because they're in healthcare profession, they're working extra hours, the dad is by the bedside and they're really concerned about it. So he's at one of the hospitals that has the largest COVID rates. I mean, this is real stuff. One of the things that was super interesting to me 
that this article brought up was that so many jobs are paid better if you don't have a child. Yes. So there's all these secret ways that they, it sounds like I'm a conspiracy theorist, but there's all these secret ways when you fill out a job application or in interviews where they can sort of discern whether you have a child or not. And wages are significantly different for people that have children. Which is also why women tend to get paid less. Once they have a child, their attention is not necessarily fully on a job, which is correct. Bullshit. But no, I'm going to argue with you for a second. Okay. This is a horrible thing to say and is putting uh, the glass ceiling back oy, oy, oy. 20 years. I don't know. I have to say that I do have a different kind of focus on my career with a kid than I did before. I don't care in the same way. I think that I'm still doing my job well and I don't think I deserve a pay cut for it. But I do have to say that uh, I care less about my job. I mean, I there are lots and lots of studies that prove and if I need to pull out a peer-reviewed journal, give me a little bit and I will, that prove that productivity and morale actually increase when people have time for their personal lives, whether that's during a crisis or not. I mean, there's have been endless books written about how, in general, we spend too many hours in an office. Look at what this pandemic has exposed about just our work lives. Corporations and businesses no longer need to pay office space. People are getting just as much done at home for much less money to the corporation, of course. So the three things that this lockdown has kind of exposed. One is that parenting is not confined to after work hours. Well, every mother knew that. We all knew that. I've been working from home since my child was fucking born. I have struggled. He has had screen time from day one because that's how I got him to be quiet when I was on phone calls. Not above it. And now we know all these studies about screen time are bullshit. So I'm going to run through the hills in fields of daisies praising (laughs) screen time. Well, once you can run in a field without a mask again at some well, point. Well, a field so if years, no one's there, right? Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, like the Sound of Music field. You know, that kind of field. Book your ticket to Austria now. I guess it does require a mask on a plane, so I'm good. Another is that raising children is not just a lifestyle choice akin to a demanding hobby. And a third is that working parents cannot do it alone. And I think these are all really interesting things that so many of us, I never thought about that. But where I live in New Jersey, we have free childcare from three years old and up. You know, obviously they start going to school and certain daycares are free at three years old. What about the parents who need somebody to watch their child from birth to three? What do they do? Why are those things not done? What about, again, the single mothers? Basically, the article says, and the quote is, our current situation is posing fundamental challenges to the idea that personal and professional identities can be kept separately. And that's incredibly true. We're seeing newscasters, their kids are coming into the room. You know, Sebastian like barged in on a Zoom meeting that Matt was in. That's separation can no longer exist. And that's that Matt has a partner who is not working pretty much and is home with their kid all the time. But you know what? Sometimes I have to take a shit. Sometimes something happens. I have to like go to the supermarket. Things are still going to happen. Oh my God. I have to share with you something that is so hysterical that kind of proves that. So Lee is very private with his clients, like super private with his clients. So I was at my mom's house and I was calling him because my mom wonderfully offered out of nowhere if she could take Luna for the night. And I was like, oh, we were just coming to 
visit, but I don't know. Let me call Lee. So Lee was on the phone with the client and he thought he had muted and was talking to me on the other line and was like, whatever, I don't want that witch of a woman to watch our child. And all of a sudden I hear hysterical laughter and Lee doesn't hear it. And I go, Lee, who's on your work call? They're laughing at our joke. He's like, no, they're laughing at something else. And the woman is like, no, you didn't mute me. I'm laughing at you. Oh my God. That's so- Wait, he called Linda a witch? As a joke. Oh. Like he knew that I was on speakerphone. Oh, 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 oh. Got it. I don't even think that woman knew he had a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he keeps it that private. Well, now she knows so that's so funny I'm looking for any excuse to find a silver lining in this situation to try to stay positive. Maybe this will show that the invisible work that women do, as there is in other countries, a greater sense of, you know, listen, one of the places I teach meditation, a huge corporation, offers a paid sabbatical for their employees to go pursue for two months an interest. Wow. So someone went to Italy and took like a winemaking class and it's paid for. Huh. But their maternity leave is shit. Why? That's doesn't make any sense. So like you'll pay someone two months to like go to Italy and learn winemaking. Well, who are the people that are eventually going to take over our country? Who are the people that are going to take care of you when you're sick? It's your children. It's really interesting that you bring this up because in the article they say the U.S. has always resisted the idea that taxpayers should support two working parents. So no federal benefits like paid paternity leave or public child care, right? Like people are always fighting these things. And it basically compare having a child to a hobby, which is basically what you're saying, an interest of some kind. Yeah. But people's argument, which I think is so valid and I never thought of this, is that since people are raising future taxpayers and people who can contribute to society by being doctors, by being firemen, by being policemen, by whatever it is that they do, that they will grow up and they will contribute, that these parents are absolutely therefore contributing to society by raising them. The federal assistance should be there for these people because of that. Also, it's very indicative of the society that we're in now. The quote that they said is raising children is a public good, not purely a private good. And, you know, listen, single non-parent Ashley who didn't know if she ever wanted to have a kid would have argued against all of this and would have said, you know, why am I paying taxes to help people with their children when I have made the responsible decision to not have children? And that, that is... Oh, well, then you're kind of a bitch because even when I didn't necessarily want to have children, I thought that I should support other people's children. <laughs> you know how I feel about children. I don't want to watch anyone's kid now and I have a child. Right. But my opinion has absolutely changed on that. Like I had had the privilege of not thinking of the alternative to it. Now that I've kind of lived it, I find it really interesting. And I will say this again to the silver lining. I'm kind of excited to see how things can potentially change for the better in the future. And then, you know, realizing that childcare is absolutely essential, whether you have a job out or you have a job that's at home. So now we're all trying to like figure out how to manage our children, right? How to make it work as best as we can. And I feel like There have been a lot of funny stories, kind of like the woman who did the potato and then like couldn't unbe a potato. Do you know what what story I'm talking about? Yes. Or poor Jennifer who took her laptop to pee and she thought she had turned the camera off. (laughs) You know why? Because Jennifer is all of us. She is all of us. Robert Kelly, associate professor of political science, was talking to the BBC News about this South Korean. Oh, and his kid barged in? And he was like, look at my penis. (laughs) (laughs) Was he naked or was he just screaming about his penis? No, he was naked. Oh, my God. That's so funny. He walked into the video conference and said, look at my penis. That's so 
so funny. Oh my God. This one woman on Twitter shared that her son was doing like the homeschool in front of a Zoom meeting. He's little. He looks like he's like seven years old. He figured out how to change the Zoom picture and background and he changed himself to Danny DeVito. Oh my God. That's (laughs) how? How do you do that? How do you change yourself? I want to change myself to Danny DeVito. This one mother said that her daughter, again, had just launched her Zoom school meeting, and it was 11 o'clock, and she realized she was on camera behind her with a wine glass in hand. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so funny. She is all of us, that mom. Yep. I want to say I do think that people are a little more forgiving of your pet being in the call than your child. Have you noticed that? Yes, it's completely charming for your pet to be in the car. Right, and your kid is just a nuisance, which I agree with them. I was going to say, my kid is a nuisance when she's on my calls, but not my dog. I mean, I love that even without kids, people are failing hilariously at working from home, whether it's like farting on a conference call or like naked bodies or like cats coming onto the screen. It's hysterical. Hashtag swag bag. All right, Carrie. Do you have a hashtag swag bag pick for this week? Okay, so my hashtag swag bag pick of the week is the feature on Zoom that makes you prettier. Oh, yeah. I don't know how to use it, but I know. Yeah, I'm going to go with the dual ring light. That ring light, thank God I got it before. Matt's become a real fan of the ring light. I know you told me for his NFL draft. Well, yeah, to watch the draft. It wasn't for his, is that what they say? Is that what they mean when they say their draft? I know sports. For that and for like Zoom calls at night. Yeah, let me just tell you. Game changer. Oh, yeah. Thank God I was so vain that I decided I want this before it really became a necessity in my life. So yeah, that's my hashtag swag bag ring light and one up for the uh, Zoom Can I just tell you that this week my dad told me, I was on Amazon, I was looking at ring lights. I didn't realize how expensive they are. Everybody has them now. Why were you looking for ring lights on Amazon, dad? Were you going to get a ring light? Mark has things he wants to do. He should definitely start the way all of us start. Which is a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. Yes, but no, a clip light for the phone. Right. I never had that, but I'd still want I it. had that. It's like a gateway drug. I want a Lumi case, in all honesty. Yeah, they are good. Yeah. I've never seen a bad picture taken with a Lumi case. Maybe that should be my anniversary gift for you. 80 bucks. Baby, you're worth it. <laughs> How about you? What's your hashtag swag bag? So, you know how all I want to spend money on is my home and skincare? I bought two products from May Loves, and I love them. I've never used them. Okay, well, obviously... It was a targeted ad. That's a given. I bought the Glow Maker, which is their serum that, you know, you're supposed to use in the morning. I don't know. It has a zillion things that are just make you beautiful, supposedly. And then I bought the Night Renewer, which is kind of like a peel and a night cream in one. I just want to say my skin tone is so even. Even when I have pimples, like my skin looks so good. It looks so, so good. And it's all like each product is like $27. It's so well-priced. I... I'm in love. I want to buy everything that they make. Remember the other day we were FaceTiming and you looked at me and said like, oh, what filter do you have on? I didn't have one on. It was just because of that stuff. And even now I have pimples because I'm about to get my period, but my skin tone is like even and beautiful. Man, I need to get it because I've been looking in the mirror being like, I either need a tan or a different face. You've just sold me. I know. Here's another one. I watched Hollywood on Netflix and I loved it. Did you see it? No, I got to see it because my girl Patti Lapone's in it. Patti Lapone is amazing. She has a a scene where she's getting reeled from behind by like the hottest guy. Get it. Yeah. And he's like younger than us. I mean, Miss Lapone, do what you have to. Yes. 
You know what I have to say? This episode has made me feel a little bit better about being a parent because I really thought I was screwing my kids up. Me too. But I guess I'm not. So that's like the silver lining to this whole episode. I'm not fucking my kid up as much as I thought. What she said about screen time, I'll never be the same. For a moment, I started to feel like, uh-oh, in the middle of that interview, the parents have to get their shit together or else the kid won't know. It's like, oh God, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> Listen, I've been trying to get a therapist for weeks now. I just can't make it happen. It's like, I mean, I should have been prepared before all of this started. I was going to be, you know? Listen, I've been 25 years in preparation for this. You know, the saddest thing is I thought I was going to be like badass Walking Dead Michonne when the shit went down. And I am like the scared, frail old lady who hides in her home. If you're working from home, it's hard. God bless. Hey, Luna, can you say goodbye? Goodbye. Okay, that's our show today, folks. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. Please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We are out here on our own, and these things really, really matter. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you want to hear. Email us at momtouragepod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at momtouragepodcast to hang out with us all week long. We are here for you. You are not alone. We got you. So go ahead, girl. Know this posse is behind you and go slay. Mom Taraj is written and produced by Ashley Heron-Smith and Carrie Sotero. Recorded and mixed by Lee Mars. Our theme song, MILF, is by the band Mama Drama. You can find them on Instagram at mamadramaband or mamadramaband.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.